Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, thank you to Francis Anne and Philip for uh, really bringing alive to us once again uh, Paul's words to the Philippians. I think that was really very helpful. Uh, you think you really could tell from that the warm relationship that there was between Paul and this group of people and a sense of uh, sharing together in life's difficulties. Many of you I know have got some value out of the church website resources uh, on this series of Philippians. Um, And we had one very good question uh, following last week's sermon posted on the website. And the question was about the relationship between being a servant and justice. So does being a servant, preferring others' needs, does that mean being passive as far as seeking for justice is concerned? Now, actually, we don't really have time to go into that in any detail this morning. Um, Do have a look on the website for Uh, at least my answer to that question. Um, However, I do want to say something about justice uh, as we go through this morning a little bit later on. But let's pray for a moment. (coughs) Lord, we thank you that you're here amongst us this morning. We thank you that your spirit's here. And Lord, we offer up our minds and our hearts to you and we pray that you would speak to us and challenge us and draw us closer to your son in Jesus' name. Amen. On the screen, you see Ken and Frida. Ken's an American who, in the early 70s, was searching for meaning in life. He went to India. He joined the hippie trail. He got into ashrams, yoga, gurus, drugs. He ended up being taken in by a couple of Christians, a doctor and his wife, who were working with the poor and his life was completely turned around by the love of Christ. He met Frida, and they started working in an orphanage for children of leprosy sufferers. And they've been working in India ever since, caring for destitute boys and girls. And they now care for and educate over 500 village kids just outside Dehradun in northern India. They have a vision on top of that to take in boys whose mothers are dying from AIDS to care for both mothers and children so that the women can die knowing that their kids are being properly cared for. <coughs> the next pair on the screen are Jane and Louie. Jane's a Northern Ireland girl and her South African husband, Louie, and they spent 10 years in Amsterdam working for YWAM with young people, spreading the gospel and providing a ministry to prostitutes in the red light area befriending them, providing them with help and comfort, showing the love of Christ in practical ways. And they could tell you story after story of God reaching in, God's love reaching into the darkness of these girls' lives, bringing hope and salvation. Our final photograph is James. James ran a successful insurance broker's practice in Belfast. On top of that, though, He was a volunteer for AIDS Concern. He eventually became Northern Ireland chairman. He got Meals and Wheels up and running in East Belfast in the 70s. Most of it organized with volunteers with Meals rooted through his insurance 
office. Not content with that, he did lots of other things as well. He set up the first victim support group in Northern Ireland for victims of various sorts of violence, and he voluntarily chaired a number of health and mental, um, mental health board committees. And in fact, it's hard to keep track of all that James did, all the things that he did that really touched the lives of so many people with the love of Christ and made a real difference. Now, what do all these people have in common? On the face of it, actually not much, except that you don't know them, you've never heard of them, and yet each of them has made an impact on the world around them and touched the lives of many, many people with the love of Christ. Each of these people are unknown, ordinary people, and yet people who have understood that it's possible for the life of heaven to touch the life of earth and who have given themselves to seeing that happen. They're what Shane Claiborne in his book Irresistible Revolution would call ordinary radicals. They're ordinary people who have done extraordinary things. And you and I know a lot more of them too. People in Fitzroy like Alan and Sheena Gaston in South Africa, the McElwains in Jordan, Carol in London. And there's many more of them as I look around the congregation this morning, ordinary radicals bringing the life of heaven to the life of earth. As the Foo Fighters put it in their 1997 hit, Hero, which they said was about the extraordinary potential of ordinary people, there goes my hero. Watch him as he goes. There goes my hero. He's ordinary. There goes my hero. She's ordinary. Ordinary radicals People who do heroic things because they believe in the transforming power of God. Our text this morning is Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Let's just read that. No glasses. I think I'm just going to have to resort to my glasses, actually. Sorry, here they are. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it's from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's from there that we are expecting a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. What does that mean? What does it mean to have your citizenship in heaven? When I was a boy, I always used to hate it when the Jim Reeves records were put on. Now, apologies to any Jim Reeves fans in the, uh, in the audience this morning, but I just didn't like that smooth, silky voice of Jim's. And one of the favorite tracks in the Christian circles that I grew up in was, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are made up somewhere beyond the, sorry, somewhere beyond the blue. (laughs) The angels beckon me to heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Now, somewhere in this Jim Reeves universe, 
Heaven was somewhere up there, and we'd get there after we die. And this world was just so bad and so messy, we just needed to keep ourselves clean and unsullied as much as possible. In the world, but not off the world, was a much-touted phrase. And eventually Jesus would come back, or we'd end up, or we'd die and we'd end up in the sky with the golden streets and the angels and the harps. Now with this sort of outlook, citizenship of heaven carries the idea of non-engagement with the world. We belong somewhere else, not here. What's the point of getting involved, apart from preaching the gospel, so that some others can be saved from the world as well? Is that what Paul means here in Philippians when he says that our citizenship is in heaven? The word that Paul uses and is translated citizenship was a word in his world to describe a political entity, the state and the group of people that belong to it. It was frequently used of citizens, citizens of one city living abroad. It's the sense of living in a community in exile while belonging to the realm of another country. And the Philippines would have appreciated the way that Paul used the word because they lived in a city with a strong connection to imperial Rome. Citizens of, of Philippi would have felt a strong allegiance to Rome and would have understood the idea of being a citizen of one region while living in another. So he uses a word which is full of meaning to the people of Philippi. A resident of Philippi would have found his or her welfare in the success of imperial Rome. Christians, says Paul, though, place their hopes in an altogether different place. Their hope is in the realm of heaven, God's realm. It's from here that they expect a saviour. Now, this term saviour, again, would have had important overtones for the Philippines because it was a term that was commonly used for Caesar in the world of ancient Rome. Caesar was lord and saviour. And Paul's words cut across all the pretensions of the empire. And his message to the Philippines is loud and clear. There's one lord, there's one saviour, and that is the Messiah, Jesus. And it's to this commonwealth, this kingdom, that Christians belong. For Jews like Paul... Heaven was the place where God lived. To say that our citizenship is in heaven was not to say that there's a place in the sky that we're going to live whenever we die and we've just got to stay as detached as possible from the world until such times as we reach there. That wasn't what he was saying. According to Paul's Jewish theology, you see, heaven was God's realm and this world was the good place that God had made. And it was the place that he would remake whenever he came to rule. Jews talked about this age and the age to come. This age is all about the here and now. And the age to come was the time when Israel's God would come and remake the world. And would make all things new. This was the day when the lion would lie down with the lamb. And God himself would come and rule a remade world in peace and justice. So they looked forward to a day when the age to come would arrive and the life of heaven would become a reality here on earth. That was the Jewish hope expressed in the prophets in the Old Testament. And this Jewish hope was also the hope of Paul and the first Christians. Except for them, of course, the kingdom had now actually arrived in the person of Jesus the Messiah. 
The age to come had actually already now begun to touch the life of earth. The life of heaven had come to earth. And Christians were already participating in that life. And the time for God's transformation of the world had arrived. So that's what Paul is talking about, essentially, when he says that we are citizens of heaven. There's a new reality. There's a new kingdom. There's a new government, which is even now at work in the world. It's the reality of God himself. It's his peaceful and just reign breaking into the darkness of our world. And Christians are a part of this new reality. They are citizens of God's heavenly reality and state. Paul is not primarily here talking about the hereafter. He's talking about the experience of Christians here and now, partakers of an alternative reality, people who are like exiles in a foreign land, but who own allegiance to another power. For Paul... God's life and presence and power through Jesus Christ had broken into the world and the process of transformation of the world had begun. But we know only too well, don't we, as we see the darkness and the evil all around, that God's work of transformation is by no means complete. In fact, at times we may wonder where God's kingdom actually is. And that's why Paul says that we await a saviour who will complete this process of transformation of the entire universe, subjecting all things to himself and transforming our mortal bodies. Paul talks about the completion of this process more if you want to read read about it in uh, Romans chapter 8, where creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption. But to the Philippians, Paul is saying, you are not defined. You are not owned by the temporary state of affairs of this world, which is dominated by the exploitation and uh, dominating violence of Rome. You're not defined by that. You're not constrained by any other power or reality. The ultimate reality for you, for you followers of the Lord Jesus is that you are citizens of the realm where God himself lives. You are partakers even now of the life of heaven. And the long-awaited age to come has broken into your lives and you are part of a new reality, which will one day be brought to fulfillment and completion. Whenever the Lord Jesus arrives on earth to make all things new, including believers' bodies. Now that's exciting, isn't it? In the midst of a world that's torn by war and injustice and strife and selfishness, where it seems that the tune is called by the violent and the exploiters, there is a different reality at work. And the good news is that this new reality, the very life of heaven itself, is in fact at work in us modern day followers of Jesus. And the power that that it has worked within us is greater than any other power on earth in the world. As the writer of 1 John put it, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This power has the power to transform this world and one day will do just that. This morning God calls us to acknowledge the new reality into which he has brought us to lift up our heads 
to see beyond the evil and the despair all around us. Many people know that things are out of kilter, are going crazy, but they just really don't know how to cope with it. John Mayer, guitar superstar, in his recent album, Continuum, says tellingly, now we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. We just feel that we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. So we keep waiting, waiting on the world to change. Good news of Jesus Christ is that we don't have to sit around passively and hope somehow the world might change. Paul's message to us is that the life of heaven has touched our lives and can flow out of us and begin to transform the world. We, like the Philippians, are citizens of heaven. Those who recognize, experience, and own allegiance to an alternative reality, the very life of God breaking into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. So what would it mean this morning for us to take seriously this message, this fact that we are citizens of heaven, and that we are awaiting the world-changing second advent of the Savior? Jesus Christ. What would it mean? It would mean that we no longer see our lives as part of this present order of things which is passing away. It would mean that we would want to see the life of heaven, the life of this just and peaceful order to which we belong, become manifest on earth. And we would give ourselves to making that a reality. In the Old Testament, the characteristic features of the day of Yahweh's reign are justice and peace. And that's precisely what Paul expects for the day when Christ subjects all things to himself, justice and peace. So let me suggest two things then that taking seriously this call to be citizens of heaven would mean for us. First of all, it would mean that we would not stand for injustice wherever we see it. Where there's an unfair trade system, or our government going to war unjustly, or crass discrimination against women in the church, or people parking in disabled car spots. Wherever we see an injustice, that is not the way things are meant to be. That does not reflect the life and realm of heaven to which we belong, and we seek God's justice. What a difference it would make if God's people all over the world were committed to seeking justice no matter what it cost. Kaj Monk was a Danish pastor killed by the Gestapo in 1944. He said this, and this is a, forgive me for the lengthy quotation, but it bears uh, quoting. What therefore is our task today? Our task today is recklessness. For when we Christians, what we Christians lack today is not psychology or literature. We lack a holy rage, a recklessness which comes from the knowledge of God and humanity. The ability to rage when justice lies prostrate in the streets, when the lie rages across the face of the earth. A holy anger about the things that are wrong in the world. To rage against the ravaging of God's earth and the destruction of God's world. To rage when little children must die of hunger, when the tables of the rich are sagging with food. To rage against the senseless killing of so many and against the madness of militaries. To rage against the lie that calls the threat of death and the strategy of destruction peace. 
to rage against complacency, to relentlessly seek that recklessness that will challenge and seek to change human history until it conforms to the norms of the kingdom of God. Where is the holy anger this morning? When was the last time we were reckless in seeking justice for others? When did we last take to the streets to protest against something? When did we last make ourselves thoroughly unpopular because we defended somebody else's rights, objected to a sexist remark at work, or joined a lobbying group to address a particular issue of justice? Blessed are those that mourn, said Jesus. You're blessed if your heart beats in time with the afflicted and the downtrodden of the world. If you feel their pain as if it was your own, if your own joy and celebration of being involved in the kingdom is tinged with a constant ache for the sorrow of the world, blessed are those that mourn. So easy to bow the knee to the gods of comfort and convenience. Coming to church even has become too safe for us. It's far too cozy. It's far too nice. When we come together as believers, we need to have much more the spirit of conspiring revolutionaries, not passive attenders. Seeking ideas and fresh vision and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for the peaceful revolution to which Christ calls us so that we go away motivated for the serious work of shining like stars in the world, of tearing back the darkness. Bono referred recently to all the evil that's in the world and he said, I just hope when it's all over for you too, that in some way we've made the light a bit brighter. Maybe just tore off a corner of the darkness. And that's what we're called to. A holy rage that can't help but tear off some of the darkness of injustice. Secondly, if we were to take seriously being citizens of heaven, then we need to align our lives in some way with the poor and the needy. I started this morning by telling the story of three groups of people who made a real difference in the world. I said the one thing that they had in common was that they were all ordinary people who were not famous or well-known. But also what they had in common was that their lives all served the poor and the needy. Leprosy sufferers, AIDS victims, destitute children in India, girls from around the world who were sold into the sex trade in Amsterdam, the old and lonely and the sick and the mentally ill in our own society. These people all realized that being citizens of heaven meant that they went where their Savior went, to be with the poor and the outcasts and the needy. And what about us this morning? How are our lives aligned with the poor this morning? It'll probably not be in similar ways to any of the examples that I've given. Mother Teresa said, when asked about her work, Calcutta's are everywhere. If only we have eyes to see. Find your own Calcutta. Where is your Calcutta? How are you bringing the life of heaven to the life of the poor and the needy on earth, because that's what Jesus did and that's what he calls us to do. 
I know many of us in Fitzroy this morning are already engaged in the work of justice bringing and hope bringing to the poor. Let me encourage you this morning that what you're doing is not insignificant. It is indeed a demonstration of the reality that is to come. Because through what you do, you show forth something of the glorious reality of justice and peace that the Lord himself will one day bring to fullness and you witness powerfully to the life of heaven. There are probably some of us this morning here who feel jaded, who feel, well, I probably believed in all that once, but it was a long time ago. Things have changed for me. Jackson Brown, in his song, The Pretender, tells the story of someone who's lost their earlier idealism. He says, I want to know what became of the changes we waited for love to bring. Singer in the song goes on to talk about being caught between the longing for love and what he calls the struggle for the legal tender. And then he ends up, sadly, deciding... I'm going to be a happy idiot and struggle for the legal tender. Will the ads take aim and lay their claim to the heart and soul of the spender and believe in whatever may lie in those things that money can buy? Though true love could have been a contender. If that's you this morning, true love still can be a contender. It's not too late to start living as citizens of God's loving, peaceful, and just kingdom. Maybe we just need to shake ourselves and let God's spirit move us afresh and begin to align our lives with the life of heaven. To do so means rolling up our sleeves, getting involved, somehow finding a way to get involved with the poor and the oppressed, speaking up for those who have no voice, and finding somewhere to serve. Find your own Calcutta. And all of us, as we realize afresh our true identity, our true belonging as citizens of heaven, as we take up the challenge to be ordinary radicals, we can rejoice that there is a day coming when Christ himself will subject all things to himself, will bring in the kingdom of peace and justice, and on that day, with new transformed bodies, we will share in the fullness of it.